This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. When I went to get my name tag, uh, Robert said to me, oh, looking forward to the sermon. It's a really hard passage. And I wonder what you make of that reading. Uh, David meeting these people as he goes back. Now, thankfully, the Lord Jesus uh, very helpfully tells us how we should be thinking and meditating on passages like this. Because in the New Testament, he speaks of the scriptures, uh, the Old Testament, as testifying about him. That they point to him. And so, this passage in the life of David is no different. It is pointing, it is testifying, it is in some ways a foreshadow of Christ. Now the reason why David, uh, his life and story points ahead to Christ is because of the special promises that God made to David. You might remember in our study of 2 Samuel that in chapter 7, God promised David that a descendant of his, an offspring of David, would be the king that would reign forever. He would have a forever king come from his line. And so as uh, history pushes on, the people are expecting, who is this descendant of David that will reign forever? And the answer is uh, given finally with the coming of Jesus. And we know that this is the one because one of the titles that's given to Jesus is that this is the one who is son of David. And so in Scripture, we are meant to see that the life of David, uh, in many ways, there are parallels as well as contrasts uh, with great David's greater son. Similarities as well as uh, the failures of David showing how we are waiting for the greater king, the one who is perfect in every way. So we must... Go to God in prayer. And I'm so thankful for the song that Zanyang chose because uh, that should be uh, the, the heart of our prayer. That as we come to this passage, that God might show us Christ. We're not coming here just to learn, you know, knowledge or Bible information about the life of David. Uh, but we want to see Christ. We need God to show us Christ. So please join uh, your hearts with me as we Ask God to do this for us. Father, show us Christ. Show us Christ. Open our eyes and our hearts that we may see Him more clearly. Reveal your glory. Show us Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Now for those of you who have uh, parachuted down in the middle of this series, uh, you come with this, it doesn't make sense at all. So I need to give a very short recap. And the recap is that David uh, has been facing a rebellion, and the rebellion was led by his very own son, Absalom. And what we've seen in the previous chapter is that the rebellion has been quelled, Absalom has been killed. And so David, because of the rebellion, he had to flee across the Jordan, out of Jerusalem, And now in this story, David is returning back. David the king is returning. And so as we think about how this part of David's story 
parallels or points ahead to great David's greater son, then I think you can agree with me that it must tell us something about the return of Jesus the king. As David the king is making his return now to Jerusalem, uh, it points ahead, it foreshadows in some way the return of King Jesus. And uh, John Woodhouse was very helpful. Uh, I, I depended greatly on this insight that he gave, which was, what was in this return of the king, David making his way back to Jerusalem, what, what do you think is the most important question of the day? As David is returning as king to Jerusalem, what would be the most important question of the day? Now you just think with me, a few months ago, the most important question would have been, eh, Absalom is coming up. He seems to be, you know, so handsome, so capable, so, you know, practice active listening, so compassionate. Eh, maybe he would make a better king. So the question of the day then would be, eh, would Absalom make a better king? And then when Absalom actually began his rebellion, the question would be, do we stay on David's side? Or do we go over to Absalom's side? And then as the fighting started, the question of the day would be, which one would prevail? Which one would win? Would Absalom win or would David win? But now as Absalom has been killed, as David has defeated his enemies, as David is making his way back to Jerusalem as king, all these are not the important questions. The most important question is, as the king is returning, are you on the right side of the king? Are you on the right side of the king? And so we are told in verse 9 that throughout the tribes of Israel, the people were arguing among themselves. And this is what they were saying. Uh, I think the, the best way to picture it is that uh, it's not people meeting on the streets arguing but that this was most likely like a, a court case. And then you got the people who want David back and the other people who are not so sure. And you can imagine the, the group that is not so sure because, hey, we rebelled against him. If we have him back, what is he going to do to us? Okay, so the writer captures for us one side of the argument. And he captures for us in verse 9, the side that argues, hey, David the king, he has delivered us from the hand of our enemies. He is the one, remember, he's the one that rescued us from the hand of the Philistines. But now, yes, he has fled the country to escape from Absalom. And verse 10, Absalom, yes, we made the mistake of anointing him, but that pretender to the throne, he is now dead. So, why do we do nothing? Why do we not bring the king back? So this is a court case. And the writer has captured us just one side of the argument. He doesn't even bother to write and record uh, what the other side is saying. And so the news of this um, got to David. And that's why David, in hearing that, ah, okay, the people of Israel, they're supporting me. They want me back. And so he sends a message to uh, Zadok and Abiathar. And he tells them, go and address Judah. So Judah is the southern part of Israel, and uh, it was the northern part that was having this court case. And so the northern part was supporting David, and so he sends word to the southern part, and he says, Hey, why should you be the last 
to bring the king back to his palace, since what is being said throughout Israel has reached my ears, essentially he's saying. You are my relatives, my own flesh and blood. So why should you be the last to bring back the king? So because David is from the tribe of Judah, he appeals to that kinship. Why are you not saying anything about bringing me back? And then he says in verse 13, And say to Amasa. Now Amasa was his enemy. He was Absalom, the usurper of his throne. He was Absalom's military commander. So Amasa was his enemy. But now he's extending the olive branch to Amasa. And uh, he says to Amasa, Are you not my own flesh and blood? And indeed, Amasa is, because Amasa is actually David's nephew. And then he says, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you are not the commander of my army for life in place of Joab. So I think we can agree that David is trying to do two things here. The first thing, by extending the olive branch to Amasa, the one who you know, was leading the, the army against him, is to say, in my return as king, I'm not going to seek out vengeance. I'm not going to, you know, root out the people who let the coup against me and put them to death. No, no. And I show you the example by making Amasa military commander. And he's making Amasa military commander in place of Joab, who was his loyal, to a certain degree, David's own military commander. So Joab is getting demoted, and Amasa, the once enemy, gets promoted in his place. And I think the reason why David does that is because Joab went against David's own orders and killed Absalom. Because in the battle, David said, yeah, he's my son, so please, for my sake, spare him. But Joab knew, no, 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 you, you cannot let this rebel continue in the kingdom. He might re- lead another rebellion. So Joab took things, he's the pragmatist. You know, you can never accuse Joab of being sentimental. So Joab killed Absalom. And so this is could be, you know, David's way of putting Joab in his place. Why did you disobey me? And promoted Amasa. And a way also to say, I come back, I come back in peace. I'm not looking for vengeance. So you see there, verse 14, he was successful because he won over the hearts of the men of Judah so that they were all of one mind. And so they sent word to the king, return. You and all your men. And so the king began to make his way back to Jerusalem. And for that, they have to cross the river Jordan. And what the writer does for us is, as the king is making his way back, crossing over the Jordan, he records a series of conversations that David has with, you know, some men. And this is mirrored with David's flee from Jerusalem a few chapters earlier. That as David was escaping uh, away from Absalom, running out of Jerusalem, fleeing across the Jordan, uh, the writer also recorded a series of conversations that David had with a few men. So this is, uh, in the story, uh, mirrored now here. And so we see that the first person that David talks to is this guy by the name of uh, Shimei. And I need to tell you, Shimei, Shimei was the one that when David was running away, was cursing and throwing rocks at the king. 
He said, you, you deserve to run away. You deserve to have your, your, your throne taken away from you because all this blood is on your hands and he was cursing the king, throwing rocks at him. And then David was saying, ah, leave him alone. I mean, you know, if he has orders from God to curse me, then, then, then so be it. And so Shimei, you can imagine when he reads on Twitter, <gasps> David's on his way back. You know, quickly gathered all his, all his men, all the 1,000 Benjamites, and he, he, you know, wake up early, prepare the, the, the food and the, the peace presents, and, and runs down to meet the king. He wants to be the first one there. Why? Situation has changed. Because David is not a king that has just been dethroned and running away. No, no, no. David, the one he cursed. He's now coming back as king. And so he wants to plead for his life. So he comes and he says, um, verse 19, May my Lord not hold me guilty. And as he's saying it, he's prostrating and you know maybe kissing the king's feet. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the king left Jerusalem. Oh, may the king put it out of his mind. Please, please forget. Please forget the, 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 where the rock hit you on your ear and on your shoulders. Forget about that. You know, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. But today I have come here. I'm the first one here. And I brought all these men who will now be loyal to you. Come down and to greet you and to offer whatever assistance. Come, come, let me carry the bag for you. Oh, no, no, don't carry this yourself. Come, let me help you. And help him across the Jordan. That's what he wants to do. And so in verse 21, uh, Abishai, who is a brother of Joab, you know, this guy only knows uh, to talk with his uh, sword. And he says, shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. And then David says, ah, you're always bloodthirsty. What does this have to do with you, you sons of Zariah? What right do you have to interfere? Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Don't I know that today I am king over Israel? And so he promises Shimei, you will not die. And interestingly, the story with Shimei doesn't end here. Uh, actually, it goes into 1 Kings and uh, David on his deathbed, he will say, I promised that I won't kill him with my own sword. But he says to Solomon, you take care of him. Uh, so the saga with Shimei continues. Huh? Okay, but that one, that's later. But for now, on this great day, as I'm returning to Israel, back to Jerusalem, King David says, okay, let no one, no one should be put to death. Now the next person that David meets is Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is Saul's grandson. Saul is the king that David took over. And Saul had a son called Jonathan, and Jonathan's son is Mephibosheth. And even though uh, Saul was always trying to take David's life, David promised Jonathan that none of his uh, offspring would be put to death. He would take care of them. And so even though Mephibosheth was lame and in fact useless, David kept his promise and protected and provided for Mephibosheth. So here we meet Mephibosheth, and he went down to meet the king, and we are told that he had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his moustache or washed his clothes. So basically, he has not used a shaver, he's not used a washing machine, maybe he hasn't even bathed. 
And he definitely hasn't used the nail clippers. And now uh, when we were discussing this at Bible study, uh, Elizabeth said, you know, when she first heard this. But actually, King David looks at all that, smells all that, and he's pleased. Because the reason why Mephibosheth didn't clean himself, didn't wash his clothes, was because the king had to flee. The king was not in Jerusalem. The king was uh, was fleeing for his life. And so he, he, he didn't take care of himself as a sign of mourning for the king, grieving for what is happening to the king. And so he's actually showing a great deal of loyalty to the king. But you might remember that Mephibosheth had a servant called Ziba. And I lamely said in Bible study, Ziba is the cousin of Zebra. Okay. Yeah, it didn't go down well there too. Um, Ziba, you might remember, was also one of the people who met the king as the king was fleeing. And Ziba came with, Ziba was hiding behind the rocks, okay? And when the king was coming, Ziba jumped out and he says, Supplies! Because Ziba came with supplies for the king. He came with provisions. Don't care, don't do that. He's like, oh man, so lame. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is to help you keep awake, huh? Okay. So, so Ziba came with supplies and to show that, yes, because the king is, is running away, he came with provisions, he came as a sign of support. But Ziba slandered his master, Mephibosheth. Ziba said, oh, Mephibosheth, he's not here because he wants, he thinks there's a chance that he, as the descendant of Saul, the former king, he can take over the throne now. And so Ziba was doing all this, you know, show support so that he could get Mephibosheth's property. And so David said, yes, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is now yours. So that was what happened as he was fleeing. Now as the king is coming back, he meets Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth clarifies. He said, no, 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 no. Actually, when I heard that you were fleeing, I commanded him. Get my car ready. You know, and I can't do it myself because I need to, you know, I'm lame. I need people to help me get onto and onto the mule. But Ziba took the opportunity to slander Mephibosheth before David. So what is David going to do? Now he finds out the truth. Well, what David did was he said, I gave 100% to Ziba. Now half of that comes back to you. I mean, and, and when I read that, I was going... Hey, a bit not fair, right? Now he knows the truth. Why doesn't he give everything back to, to Mephibosheth? And I think the reason is because when Ziba came with his supplies, his surprise supplies, it was helpful to the king. It was what he needed at that time. And so David had to make a decision. And so he said, okay, half for Ziba, half for Mephibosheth. But you see what Mephibosheth does. He says in verse 30, let him take everything now that my lord the king has returned home safely. And then again I'm going, Mephibosheth, why? You, you deserve 100%. Why, why, why? Now you get 50% is already, uh, you know, injustice. Why you say let him take everything? And I think the point is that Mephibosheth is coming as a character that's being portrayed as one who is so loyal. So loyal to the king that, yes, as long as the king is, is returning and he's returned safe, 
All these things don't matter to him. That's how much on the king's side Mephibosheth is. And then the third person that we meet, or that David meets on his way back, uh, is also a loyal fellow, uh, Barzillai. When I see Barzillai, I think of Godzilla. So, But this Barzillai is an old man. And he was a wealthy old man that when David was also in need, across the Jordan, he came with supplies, provisions for the troops, uh, great help for David. And so Barzillai comes, and he comes to show his support, to pledge his continuing loyalty to the king. And so the king, obviously very grateful, says, okay, you know, come over with me. Stay with me in Jerusalem and I will provide for you all that you will need. But Basilei doesn't want to be a burden. And so he gives the excuse. He says, oh, I'm already 80 years old. You know, whether I eat uh, gelang hokkien mee or, you know, those lousy hokkien mee, it still tastes the same to me. You know, why should I be a burden on you? And so he says, instead, take Kim Ham. And when I see Kim Ham, I always think of Kim Lam. Now, most likely, uh, Kim Ham is Basilei's own son. And so he says, this is your servant, Kim Lam, uh, Kim Ham. Now, he shall cross over with you and do for him whatever you wish. And so Kim Ham crosses with the king. And we are told in verse 40 that all the troops of Judah and half the troops of Israel came to take the king over. So the king has returned. And so we began the story with Israel. Israel saying, hey, should we not take the king back? And then David sending word to Judah saying, hey, the northern tribes want to take me back. What about you? You are my flesh and blood. What about you? And now the story ends again with Israel arguing with Judah. So in verse 41, the men of Israel came to the king and they said, Hey, why are our brothers, the men of Judah, why are they stealing the king away? Why are they bringing him and his household across the Jordan together with all his men? So even though Judah was like the last to want to welcome the king back, now when the king is coming back, wow, they go and carry the things for him. You know, they go so close to him. They, 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 they make it seem as if uh, they were the first. And so verse 42, all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel. We did this because the king is closely related to us. He's from, he's from our tribe, you know. He's not from your tribe, you know. Why are you angry about it? Have we eaten any of the king's provisions? Like, you know, have I come and have I demanded land? Have I, have I demanded that he support us? Have we taken anything for ourselves? And verse 43, the men of Israel answered back, Hey, we have ten shares in the king. We, we, we are ten tribes. He's king of all Israel and we are ten tribes. And we have a greater claim on him. Why do you treat us with contempt? And weren't we the first to, to talk about taking the king back in the first place? You see, now that the king has returned, and the king is coming back to his throne, everyone is arguing. No, no, I'm more on his side. I'm more on his side. No, 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 I'm more on his side. And then the men of Judah pressed their claims even more forcefully than the men of Israel. Well, you can be assured that when... The King Jesus returns. Uh, no one will be arguing like this. Because we read in our responses reading that 
God, because Jesus condescended himself, went all the way down in humility, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because of that, verse 9, we are told, God had exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when Jesus returns, there will be no one fighting, there will be no squabbling. When he returns, he will return to reign over a unified people. Everyone will bow the knee and confess that yes, this is the king. And so just as in the days of David, the most crucial question when David was returning to Jerusalem. The most crucial question is, are you on the right side of the king? So now with Jesus, the return of Jesus the king, his sure return, the Bible promises us, he will return. He is king now, reigning, and he will return to wrap everything up. The most crucial question for us is, are you, am I, on the right side of the king. But it's not like in David's case where when he's returning and then like Shimei, you run to him and you know, you know all the things that you did wrong and you're hoping, oh, God, you know, king, king, please, please forgive me. You know, forget about all the wrong things I did. No, if when we wait till King Jesus returns and he comes back, with his angels and the trumpets blowing in all his glory, you wait till then, and then you run to him to plead for mercy, that will be too late. The king is reigning now. He will return. But are you on the right side of the king now? Because if you're not on the right side of the king now, when you wait till he returns, it will be too late. I want to get you to turn to a passage in Mark where someone calls David by this title, uh, uh, Jesus by this title, uh, Son of David. Please turn to the end of Mark chapter 10 in verse 46. So there is, uh, in the context of Mark, Jesus is here healing a blind man, and we're told his name is Bartimaeus. And the context of Mark is that what has happened prior to this is that the disciples are having a lot of problems. Okay, uh, Mark shows them completely misunderstanding. They just do not get that Jesus is king and what sort of a king he is. They don't get it. And here with Mark recording Jesus' healing, giving sight to a blind man. The point is that, yes, the disciples won't get it. They can't see what sort of king Jesus is. And we cannot see what sort of king Jesus is. The only way anyone can see what sort of king Jesus is, is that he, Jesus, must grant sight. He must open our eyes to see the sort of king that he is. And so uh, Mark records for us, verse 46, they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. 
when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David. And with that title, son of David, Bartimaeus is saying, yes, yes, the promises that were made, okay, to, 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 to David, they are now fulfilled. You, you are that son of David. Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, Hey, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And so, throwing his cloak aside, Bartimaeus jumped up to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith, <clears throat> your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now that phrase, follow Jesus along the road, is very significant in Mark. Because Jesus is himself on the road. And Mark says, yes, Jesus is on the road, he's on the road, and he's on the road to Jerusalem. He's on the road to Jerusalem where he says he must go there to suffer and to die. As king, this is what he must do. So he's on the road there. And Bartimaeus, in seeing, being granted sight, follows Jesus and follows him on the road. This is Mark's way of saying that Bartimaeus is truly now a genuine disciple. Now, I find this account helpful because I think for many of us, we can say to Jesus, yes, you are that son of David. You are the one to whom the promises made to, to David thousands of years ago now fulfilled. You are that king. You are that forever king. But then we live life in this world and we see how our colleagues are acting, what they are doing to get a promotion. And sometimes it's just easier to do what they do. And sometimes when we are faced with a moral choice and uh, making the right choice is difficult. And sometimes it's easier, yes, even though we know that this Jesus is the king and he's returning as king, sometimes it's easier to just do the easier but wrong thing. And so we need, like Bartimaeus, to plead to the son of David, have mercy on me. Yes, I know that you are the king, but please have mercy on me. Help me to see, help me to see in this situation where everyone is doing this but to see that because you are king, I need to do this instead. Help me to see that you are the king. So that now I'm on the right side. Now I'm on the right side of the king. And when you return, I will be on the right side. My friends, it's more than just obeying the king. It's about trusting the king. It's about pleading to the king, please help me to see. That you are the king who defeated all your enemies by your death on the cross. You defeated sin, defeated, conquered death. And so when I am faced with my own failures, when I sin again and again, and I, I, I feel so helpless and hopeless, help me to see that you are the king who has defeated death, defeated sin. And so to trust you and to cling to the mercy and the forgiveness that you alone can bring. Oh, son of David, help us to see 
the King that you are and what you have done for us. O oh God, show us Christ. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.